So um, if you have a phone with a Bible, if you can pull up your Bible, we're going to be looking at today Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2. Uh, also, if you have our app, it's FC Online on the app. It has all the verses we're going to be going through. And I think there's some verses there that are not in the sermon today that's related to the sermon. And then if you're in a small group, all of the small group questions are there on that app as well. And those are some things that you can go over in your groups. And so take a drink and get ready. I am not really sure what God has in store today. I have all sorts of notes, but I'm very, very, very convicted by the Holy Spirit today. And I just would invite you to open your heart to be receptive to whatever God's Spirit would have. And so I've got some notes, but I just don't know what the Lord wants today. And so um, I will be receptive if you will. Uh, be receptive to what God would like to do in our midst as, as we go over some of these things. And we'll, I'm just going to get rolling. We'll see where God takes us. And so we're starting a series today um, called Principles. We have looked at um, our mission as a church over the last several weeks since September um, with a series basically called Passion, uh, Revival Starts Here. So we looked at our mission, and not just the mission of Fellowship Church, but really is the mission of, of all uh, Jesus following churches, and that's just to connect people to an everlasting committed relationship with Jesus Christ and with others. So that's why we exist as a church. We exist as a church, and as Christians, we exist to connect people to an everlasting committed relationship with Jesus and with other people as well, because the church is a body, it's a community, so we need each other. Uh, we then looked at our, our vision as we looked over that. And the vision is, is a little bit unique for a particular church, but our vision just basically does not answer the same question as mission. Mission answers the question, why do we exist? Where vision answers the question, who do we want to be? Or more particularly, where are we going? Because if you get in a car, you can have the mission of, you know, I'm, I'm driving, I know how to drive, but we've got to know where we're going. And so our vision as a church is to be a multiplying movement of passionate followers of Jesus who impact their community and beyond with grace, love, and hope. And this beyond, I know quite a few of you are watching from out of state right now, maybe some from out of country, and we want to welcome you. Uh, you're a valued part of our church here, and we covet your prayers and your support. And so we want to be a multiplying movement of passionate followers of Jesus. And passion is what we talked about a lot as we talked about this idea of revival. And then last weekend, uh, Ladina Doherty, our assistant pastor who oversees operations, she did a, a really fantastic job. I got to hear her on Sunday evening um, talking about our purpose. And, and this, again, is not about our church, but what's our purpose as followers of Jesus? What's our purpose as people? And we find those purposes in Acts chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 42, that she looked at last week. But our purpose is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to grow in relationship with him. That's what we just talked about with Nathan and Elaine, helping people grow. Uh, it's our purpose to connect in encouraging, authentic, but also accountable relationships with other people. It's our purpose, what we do, what we're supposed to do is to serve and meet the needs of the world around us. And then finally, our purpose, what we're called to do is to share the grace, love, and hope that we have found in Jesus Christ in tangible ways with everybody. So we have a mission, we have a vision, and every Christian has this purpose. Uh, these five things show up again and again and again throughout Scripture. 
If you'd like to explore that idea a little bit more, there's a great book by uh, Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Church. And then uh, the companion to that was actually one of the best-selling books of all time. It was The Purpose Driven Life, looking at these five things. Uh, Really great stuff. Worship, grow, connect, serve, share. Um, But we're going to go from today until Christmas with a, a look at principles. And again, I, I don't want you to think this is about our church. We're, we're going we're gonna to springboard from it being about our church to being about you in, in your life and in your community. And so principles answers a different question than mission. So mission is why do I exist? Well, that's your mission is the answer. Vision is where am I going? Who do I want to be? That's a vision. What do I do? That's purpose. But principles is essentially, how do I do life? How, and all of you, if I were to spend some time in each of your households, each and every one of you would do life and do family and do household stuff completely different. And so even though as Christians, we all have essentially the same mission and we all have the same purpose, our principles that we live by are are different, And so just as a church, if we were to ask the question, well, how do we do church? How do we do church? Well, we would say, well, that's that's our principles. Um, Some people would call this your culture. You have different cultures in your households. Every household has a different culture. Um, You have a a different DNA, and this is what we're calling this. At Fellowship Church, we have a DNA. And I'm just going to go through these 10 DNA points just real quick. And, and look at what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. But I don't believe these are fellowship church things. These are things that I really believe in. And we've got some, some cheesy names here on purpose, some cheesy little sayings and, and phrases so you remember them. Because this is, I think, how we should live our life according to God's word. And here's just some kind of fun ways to remember these things. And so number one is um, we are the Coast Guard, not the Yacht Club. We'll talk about that today. Number two, if you're saved you serve. We'll touch on that briefly today. Number three, uh, we are water buffaloes. And that's the most unique one. Uh, We'll have a good time next week exploring that. We've had people leave our church over that DNA statement before. Like, we're not water buffaloes. Like, hear me out. Come back. It's not a cult. We'll talk about what it it means to be a water buffalo. Uh, Number four, we choose fun. Uh, Some of you, I think in 2020, especially, we need to learn to have fun. Um, Number six, We do more by doing less. And I think I really believe that for life. We can do more by doing less. Uh, Number seven, we encourage innovation. That's something we should all live by, looking for innovative ways to proclaim the gospel. Number eight, this is my favorite, we ride waves and roll with punches. This is really the DNA anthem for 2020, and we'll go over that a lot in a couple weeks. We ride waves and roll with punches. And that's that's not somebody punching an octopus tentacle. That's a wave and a boxing glove. Number nine, we're for anyone, not for everyone. We'll explain what that means in a couple weeks. It's an idea of of knowing what you're actually shooting for and aiming for. And then number 10 is there's no fence. And there's no fence um, seems offensive, no pun intended, but there's this idea that like there's no fence to sit on. With Jesus, you're either all in or you're not. And so there's no fence. And so we're looking at these DNA statements and we'll talk a little bit about our church, but I wanna talk more about how these things leap forth from Scripture into our lives so that we can choose how it is we live our lives. And the first two we're going to talk about today, and I already said that, is number one is we're the Coast Guard, not the Yacht Club. And then we're going to just briefly touch on if you are saved, 
you serve. Those are the two we're going to look at today. And as we look at that first one, I'm going to read through that statement. And it just simply says this, we're the Coast Guard, not the Yacht Club. And we can put up the slide. Look at that. It says, it's not about us. It's not about us and being comfortable. This is really counterculture to everything in our culture. It's not about us and being comfortable. It's about reaching those who are perishing without Christ. That's what our life is about. As followers of Jesus, I promise you it's the only reason we're still here. It's the only reason the world is like it is today is because it's about reaching those who are perishing without Christ. If it wasn't about that, Jesus would have already returned. So it's not about us and being comfortable. It is about reaching those who are perishing without Christ and exponentially growing God's kingdom. And that's the prayer that we started the service with today, growing God's kingdom. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to start looking at this idea. So God, thank you uh, for this idea, this concept we're looking at. God, I pray as we leave this place, we would not look at an idea or a concept, but look at your word. I pray your spirit would compel us um, to truly not live for comfort, but to live for mission. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're the Coast Guard, not the Yacht Club. When you think about the Coast Guard, what do you think about? What do you think about when you think about the Coast Guard? So I spent some time last weekend in Newport, and there's a Coast Guard base there. I go to Depot Bay often. There's a Coast Guard base there. I have a, a friend and mentor by the name of Marshall Snyder. He used to be in the Coast Guard. He's got fascinating Coast Guard stories about those boats that can completely flip over while you're in the ocean and keep going. How terrifying is that? Uh, the Coast Guard is not for sissies. The Coast Guard is not for people who get seasick. The Coast Guard is pretty intense. And I often talk to young people about joining the military, and I'll encourage them which branches would be good for different kind of people. And then I'm like, but then there's the Coast Guard. Like, I don't even know how it fits completely in with the military, but it's, it's pretty hardcore, the Coast Guard. So what do you think about when you think about the Coast Guard? And there's been movies about the Coast Guard. You've maybe, maybe some of you have been rescued by the Coast Guard. Maybe some of you have been put up into a helicopter by the Coast Guard or, or put onto a jet ski or a boat or, or maybe um, your, your drug running ship got busted by the Coast Guard. I don't know. So the Coast Guard does some fascinating things. But when I think of the Coast Guard, this is just me and I don't know about you, I think about actually lifeguards. When I think about the Coast Guard, I think about lifeguards. It's interesting. I never actually realized they both have the word guard in them. Lifeguard, Coast Guard. And, and so the, the Coast Guard is like being a lifeguard times a million. Uh, but then many of you have maybe been lifeguards. So then my next question, and this is just to get us here paying attention. This is the gimmick in the sermon. Uh, what do you think of when you think of lifeguards? When you think about lifeguards, what is it that you think of? I think about red sweatshirts that say lifeguard that people wear that aren't really lifeguards because they want to look cool and think that they are a lifeguard and they go to a tanning booth so it looks like they stood outside on the swimming pool and look at me, I'm a lifeguard. No, you're not. I think about lifeguards. But when I think about lifeguards, you know, I automatically think about my, my pal, Zac Efron. How many of you think about Zac Efron when it comes to... Oh, Per perfectly placed name, Zac Efron. Uh, you think of Zac Efron. Zac Efron was in the Baywatch movie, and um, I may have been his body double before, but that's Zac Efron. I, I also think about uh, Pamela Anderson when I think about lifeguards. So how, how many of you remember uh, Baywatch? 
I still don't understand how people were able to run so slow and still save people. Like, that slow motion running was amazing. For some of you um, more mature uh, ladies, you may have remembered David Hasselhoff from Baywatch fame. And so David Hasselhoff, <laughs> we'll make sure we don't see his leg. Um, David Hasselhoff was like international superstar. And some of you, like you, if you had a goal in life, it would be to be David Hasselhoff. I guess he's like really big in Europe, David Hasselhoff. Then I also think of uh, Wendy Peppercorn when I think about uh, lifeguards. And you, every, who's seen The Sandlot? If you haven't, you have no business voting this week. You're not American. Uh, the Sandlot's really this ultimate American film. And I was talking with our staff about lifeguards, and um, Hannah Rudder was like, well, I automatically think of Wendy Peppercorn. I'm like, who's that? And so she knew the name by heart. And I, so I'm like, thank you, Hannah. I did think of her. I did not know her name by heart. And then um, really my, my all-time favorite lifeguard, whenever I think of lifeguards, I think of the um, impeccable Tim Warnock uh, when I think about lifeguards. And so he did, I looked all over his social media trying to find like some really good speedo shots um, when he was a lifeguard, but we got one with a shirt and uh, you know, the, red, the red baggy shorts. And so what do you think about when you think about lifeguards? Now, these, some of these particular lifeguards, when you think about, I also think of uh, Stranger Things, the, the, you know, the creepy guy that's the lifeguard in Stranger Things. But you think about this Wendy Peppercorn and people just simply hoping that they would drown so that a lifeguard could save them. How many of you have ever done that before? Don't raise your hand. You pretended to drown so that a lifeguard could save you. Try to talk my son into becoming a lifeguard, telling him how, like, how cool it is. And he's like, it'd be so boring. I'm like, but it's so cool to be a lifeguard. So I think about lifeguards when I think about the Coast Guard. And when I think about Coast Guard, I think about lifeguards. And so what on earth does this have to do with um, anything at all? So this phrase, um, we're the Coast Guard, not the Yacht Club. This is how we do church. This is how we should all do life. Not allowing ourselves to become so comfortable that we ignore or are apathetic to those who don't know Jesus, that we would not allow ourselves to become comfortable. And when we become comfortable, we become completely apathetic or we completely ignore, worst case scenario, ignore those who do not know Christ. To be the Coast Guard and not the Yacht Club, what it means is that we don't allow ourselves to be so busy building our own kingdoms that we neglect and fail to seek first the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus says, right? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But most of us focus on all these things. I'm going to focus on all these things. I'm going to focus on building my own empire, my own kingdom. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these other things will be added. You see, the American way of life is a life of comfort. We've never lived in a society like this within human history where comfort essentially was our goal. Comfort should never be our goal, but yet we make it our goal. And so the American way of life is built on comfort, that being our number one goal, but a life built on comfort won't get you anywhere. Some people that have gone the most places experience the most adventure and excitement and purpose in their life and fulfillment and joy in their life 
have actually never lived a comfortable life. They've lived a life of hard work and a life of putting other people in front of themselves. And in that, they actually find the greatest comfort of all. You see, it's only in getting outside of our comfort zones that we discover the adventure of life that God has created us for. And as being a leader, my favorite thing to do as a leader is to help people get out of their comfort zones. And you'll never really know who you were called to be or what your life was meant to be unless you get out of your comfort zone. So you can't really love in a comfort zone because love is sacrifice. You can't truly love someone inside of your comfort zone. You actually cannot truly live if comfort is one of your greatest values. If your greatest value is comfort, you'll never truly live. You're just going to basically wait to die. You see, you're not going to be able to truly reach people for Christ if comfort is your priority. Because Jesus actually said, whoever loses his life for my name's sake finds it. Jesus says, you can't follow me unless you're willing to pick up your own cross, die to yourself, then come and follow him. And so you're never going to live out God's priority if comfort is the priority. You see, reaching people for Jesus and growing the kingdom of God is very, 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 very uncomfortable. It is very difficult. I was telling a story yesterday about a a pastor acquaintance of mine who um, left his assignment in ministry um, because he honestly believed God had, had finished that season of his life. And then he um, moved to Hawaii where he's now like a lifeguard practically. And someone was like, well, how could a pastor do that? And I was like, how could a pastor not do that? I'm like, it's because this is hard work. We're all ministers and ministry is very hard work. If you're thinking about going into, I don't even know what this means, but a career of ministry. If you think comfort is even remotely a part of it, you're gonna be real disappointed. Because ministry, the work of the ministry is is very hard work. There's nothing comfortable about growing God's kingdom. There is nothing comfortable about reaching people for Christ. Those of you who have ever grown before, you can remember when you were like seven, eight, nine, do you remember growing pains? Not the TV show. Um, Good stuff, by the way. But, But like your calves would just ache. Your shins would hurt your legs would hurt. And it's like, that's a growing pain. It's not comfortable growing, but growing is good. Here's what I believe. I believe that we have an eternity to be comfortable. And we don't have any time to let comfort be our focus now. I'll say that again. We have an eternity to be comfortable and we don't have time to make comfort a priority right now. There's too much at stake. There are too many at stake. And you say, well, pastor, you're talking about American culture. And I get uncomfortable when you talk about the American culture being built on comfort. Well, that's the point. But it's not only American culture, it's the American and Western church as well. The American and Western church has become obsessed with and distracted by comfort. We in church have become obsessed with comfort, so much so that we don't even sit on wooden pews anymore. We sit in these nice cushioned chairs. I was talking to this awesome young man last week in our service last night. He hadn't been to church in a while. And, and he's like, I just, I'm not used to these comfortable chairs in church. And I just like, I get so tired and comfortable. And I'm like, that's, that's good, but not good at the same time. 
Like we've become obsessed with comfort. We're living right now. We choose to live in the comfort of today instead of living for the comfort of tomorrow. So we all have a choice. We can live in comfort today or we can live for comfort tomorrow. And I hope that each and every one of us in some way can choose to live for comfort tomorrow. And to give you a little bit of an idea beyond what we're talking about today, I don't think heaven's gonna be comfortable either. I say like, let's live for that comfort But actually, the biblical idea of heaven is an idea of working for God's kingdom for eternity. Heaven is not diapers and clouds and harps. And if that's comfort to you, then like, I don't don't want to go to that heaven. Um, but, But heaven, this idea of heaven, God's kingdom living and reigning and ruling for eternity, it is one of serving God for eternity. It's it there's comfort in that, but not the comfort that we think. You see, we make church all about us. We make church all about our comfort, and we tend to make church in America all about what makes us feel good. And so people will say, you know, pastor, don't talk about this or this or this or this because it will make people uncomfortable. I think that's what God wants. I think God wants us to be uncomfortable in sin. I think God wants us to be uncomfortable with complacency. I think God wants us to be uncomfortable and not living life to its potential that he has. I think God wants us to be uncomfortable and not living an abundant life that he promised. You see, we tend to make church comfortable and about us and not about the call of God on our lives and not about the lost. And so instead of the Coast Guard, who is on a rescue mission to save people from drowning, the church has become much more like a yacht club, standing around in holy huddles, protecting ourselves from the bad people outside of our doors, and just simply waiting around for Jesus to come back. How many of you found yourself there? Like just just us three, and this is our huddle, we're gonna focus on Jesus, We don't want the big bad devil to come into our doors, and so let's hold ourselves up. And if we can just wait till Jesus comes back, then we're going to be all right. And I hear a lot of Christians talking about, like, I just can't wait till Jesus returns. And I would say, yes and amen. However, I'm willing to wait a lot longer for him to save more people because I, I want more to experience what he has for me. You ever been to a yacht club before? We don't really have a lot of yacht clubs in, in Oregon. I don't think something on the Columbia River counts or, or something in the Willamette River really counts, but there are some yacht clubs. And there, there are sailboat yachts and there are powered yachts. If you had to choose, which would you choose? I'd choose the power yacht. Um, but if you go to cities like Miami, that's real yacht club status there. If you go to cities uh, like San Diego, same deal, yacht club. Uh, My wife and I had an opportunity, and I've told this story before if you've been around. Don't be bored by it, but this is just me trying to seek therapy with you. Um, But my wife and I, when we were teenagers, we went to go visit her her uncle and her aunt, and he was the president of a yacht club. Pretty big deal. President of a yacht club. And so we went, he's like, hey, I want you to come down and we're going to go on a two-week yacht expedition. And we're like, oh, we're going to be pirates. This is amazing. This is like swashbuckling and we're going to like be hanging out with celebrities and going on jet skis. Like this sounds so great. And so we go down um, to the northern San Francisco Bay uh, and and we get into this nice yacht that they've got. Uh, It's this 45-foot yacht, several bedrooms, uh, 
night, just this beautiful new boat. And we get into the yacht. We're like, okay, when are we sailing? Like, when am I going to be the king of the world out on the bow of the boat? Like, when's this, when, when's this going down? And so we proceed to get into the San Francisco Bay and little to our um, knowledge, there was no sailing in store. There was no sailing plan. Instead, we were just going to motor um, from the San Francisco Bay and we were going to go all the way up the Sacramento River Delta at about four miles an hour for about two weeks. And let me just tell you, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. And um, these, were, these were yacht club kind of people. And all these yacht club people, like, they all were doing the same thing. They just power along up the Sacramento River Delta. And at one point, our uncle pointed out this, uh, this like, 1,000-foot um, television antenna. And actually, if you're driving down I-5, just outside of Sacramento, you can see there's these two antennas that are well over 1,000 feet tall. And he's like, you know, this is 1,000 feet tall watch it. And I was like, cool, we're going to be there in a couple minutes. We can see it up close. We saw that thing for about five days. No, no joke. Like, like literally not joking. For about five days, we could see that tower and we never got to it. And then for about five days on the other, the other side, we saw it going back home. Now being a young uh, teenage growing boy, I, I like to eat a lot and I still do. And like, you know, when's lunch? When's dinner? When's breakfast? Well, we have cheese for you to eat. Um, all day long, every day, and wine, but you guys are too young, and so you're going to have to live off cheese for two weeks. And like, this is literally no joke. And so we, we, stop every, we stopped at one time at another yacht club where we're hoping to interact with buccaneers and pirates, but it's also just people in polos and khakis eating cheese. <laughs> and, and, and like, to this day, if you were to ask these relatives, they'll be like, oh, Susan's husband is an idiot because he actually asked to eat uh, while we were on a yacht club and all he cared about was eating. That's because all I had was cheese for two weeks. And so here's, here's my point of the story. If you want to join a yacht club, there's something you need to know. There's no yachting involved. It's sitting around talking about the glory days of yachting. It's sitting around talking about when you were in the Navy. It's sitting around talking about when you were a Coast Guard member, when you were a lifeguard, when you did used to race sail ships. But once you get to yacht club status, there's no sailing, there's no yachting, there's no buccaneering, there's no pirating. It's just wine and cheese and four miles an hour on the Sacramento River Delta. So, If you want to live for comfort, if you want to talk about the good old days, if you want to wait around until you die or Jesus returns, then join a yacht club. But if you want to be a rescued person who rescues people, if you want to reach people who are perishing without Christ, if you want to exponentially grow the kingdom of God, then join the Coast Guard. Because there's actually people perishing without Jesus. Because the Bible that I read says that the wages of sin is death. Because there is judgment upon death. And anguish awaiting those who don't know Jesus. There is eternal judgment following the return of Jesus. And there is a lake of fire for which those who don't know Christ will be cast into for eternity. And some of you are like, whoa, 
Every church I've been to before has never mentioned that place called hell, so much so it's become a bad word, and I'm very uncomfortable. We should be very uncomfortable with the idea of hell. We should be very uncomfortable with people separated from Christ for eternity. And so if the Bible is true, and if this salvation in Jesus that we profess in Christ is real, then we should take this reality very seriously. And we should actually have a strong passion to reach the lost and to grow God's kingdom. But sadly, many of our churches look like this. And you can show that next slide. Many of our churches look like uh, yacht clubs. There's no sailing. There's no adventuring. There's no buccaneering. There's no treasure hunting. It's, it's cheese and wine while there's people all around us drowning. And most, most of us, most of the time, couldn't care any less. And, and, and if I could get a more accurate picture the people on the yacht would actually be standing in a circle holding hands, praying while those around them are, are perishing. See, we're so busy being comfortable. We're so busy having a holy huddle, making things about us to notice a world perishing without Christ. But if we were to be the Coast Guard, to be on mission would actually look not like this, but it would look like this. You can show the next slide. This is what God calls us to be. God calls us to be people on mission. God calls us to be people who recognize it's not about us. It's not about being comfortable. It's about rescuing, seeking, searching, going after those who are perishing and exponentially growing the kingdom of God. See, we get so focused on standing in circles, holding hands on a yacht where we actually have these amazing helicopters of adventure and life and purpose we could be going in on rescue missions. And the boat there is just simply a glorified dinghy. This is not, uh, this is not the church hanging out on a rubber raft. This is actually people ready to get on board the helicopter. See, we're to be the Coast Guard. We're to be on a rescue mission taking the risks demanded of us. And I shared with you a couple months ago, and if this is offensive, I understand, but my greatest, greatest, greatest concern with COVID-19 is that we have chosen to live a life of safety instead of a life of living. It just, that's just my conviction, so strong. That, that while we're trying to be healthy and while we're trying to be comfortable, there's people's lives falling apart. And I could tell you horror stories of lives falling apart during quarantine. And it's sad. And so we have to take the risks demanded of us. We have to choose to step outside of comfort zones if we really want to live. And so to reach the very people we once were, we've got to get out of our comfort zones. And I think that's what is important is we've got to realize if we ever find ourselves on a yacht club, we have to remember that once too, we were drowning. And once too, someone who loved us and cared enough about us to tell us about Jesus, to invite us to church, to love on us, to serve us, that we actually will choose to say, we are a found people who now go out and find people. I am a saved person who now goes out with Jesus to save people. 
I am a rescued person who now wants to rescue people. You see, it would be the greatest arrogance. The, the most foolish thing we could ever do is to be rescued by the Coast Guard and choose to live our lives in the yacht club instead of joining the very ones who saved us to go and rescue more. Because time is very short. Time is very short. Time is very short. You say, well, pastor, does that mean Jesus could return tomorrow? He could. I'm more concerned about us dying tomorrow. Like, time is short. And so in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came to his disciples after his resurrection and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You see, you're like, whoa, I was comfortable inside of my own. But go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these nations to observe, to obey all that I've commanded you. And he says, behold, don't worry, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so Jesus tells his church, go, and we call that the Great Commission. This is the Great Commission to go and make disciples. But most of us live our lives as if this is not the Great Commission, but instead it is the average suggestion. Jesus suggests that if we might have the opportunity, we might go out and reach people for Jesus. But the God we serve is not a God of average. He is not a God of complacency. He is not a God of comfort. He comforts us, though he's not a God of comfort. He's a God who calls us and invites us to go and to make disciples. And many of us, we say we would go, but the problem is we're afraid to go, that if we go, we won't be comfortable. Well, you won't be. If we go, we'll be rejected. If we go, no one will listen. If we go, people will think that we are. But Jesus says all authority has been given to him. And so if all authority has been given to him, that means we can walk in the authority that he has given to us and we have no need to fear man because instead we can choose to only fear God. Man, I listened to this amazing interview the other day about this. I'll, I'll share it in a couple of weeks once election chaos is over. But man, what does it mean to fear God instead of fearing people? Don't you see that Jesus says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He's always with us. And so as you go, as you get uncomfortable in your uncomfort, yes, hold it, acknowledge the uncomfort, but remind yourself, Jesus is with me in my discomfort. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't need to fear because he's with me. He promises me that in Psalms 23. He promises me that in Matthew 28. He's with us always until when? Until we die or until he returns. He'll go with us when we go in the helicopter and the Zodiac boat and the Coast Guard ship. One more verse here. Acts 1, 6 through 8, Jesus is about to ascend to the right hand of the Father in heaven. 120 Christians gather together on the Mount of Olives to watch him be lifted up to the Father and in verse 6 of chapter 1, it says, So when these Christians had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were basically saying, like, is this the end times? Is this, 
the culmination of all things? Is this the great resurrection of the dead? Is this the time where a new heaven and a new earth will come? Is this the time, Jesus? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He's like, this is what I, just don't worry about that, guys. Don't worry about that. Here's what I want you to focus on. Don't worry, but focus on verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power to comfort us. The Holy Spirit is my, we say he's my comforter. He, He is, but that's not the purpose of him coming. It says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And here's the result. And as a result of his power, you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, hey, guys, I know you're wanting to know when I'm going to come back, who's going to win the election, uh, how long the tribulation is, how long the millennium is. Is this pre, post, mid, trib? He says, hey, none of your business, guys. Get to work. Get to work. Because my spirit's coming to empower you to be a witness. Because, guys, you're not the yacht club. You're not in a holy huddle. Instead, you're, you're on a holy mission, a great commission that I've given. So a couple days later, the day of Pentecost comes. These 120 Christians are, are they're in this upper second story room uh, above what was likely some sort of a house or a shop below. It's close to the temple. And they're waiting because Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. They didn't know what that was gonna look like, but the Holy Spirit did come, did empower them, did fill them, People took notice as the Spirit was starting to do miraculous things in their midst. And as people gathered, thousands of people gathered around this house, they were calling up to the upstairs and saying, are you guys drunk? What's going on? This is craziness. And at that moment in time, the church of 120 people had a choice to live their life in a yacht club or to be the Coast Guard. Because what Peter, who was the makeshift leader at that time, what Peter could have done is Peter could have said, hey guys, keep it down. If people find out we're still about Jesus, they're gonna crucify us too. That's how Peter died, by the way. If people find out that we're still all about Jesus, we could be torn in two. We could be beheaded. We could be boiled alive. We could be forced to fight gladiators. We could be fed to lions. We could be impaled with spears. You say, well, pastor, that's pretty graphic. Well, that's how most of them died. They had an opportunity. You see, you might get away from suffering in the yacht club, but only during this life. These guys had a choice. And so what did they do? Peter walks down the stairs. He steps out into a crowd of thousands filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, essentially, you guys all killed God. That's not a good way to make friends and avoid crucifixion. But you guys just killed the Son of God. But the same man that you all just killed was actually the Messiah we've been waiting for. And he preached and he preached and he preached. And it must have been so uncomfortable for him and radically uncomfortable for the crowd. And so what did the crowd do? The crowd said, what should we do? 
What are we supposed to do? Because we don't know what to do with this information. It makes us feel very uncomfortable. And Peter said, here's what you should do. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And on that day, 3,000 men and likely 3,000 women and likely three plus thousand children gave their lives to Jesus Christ and they chose to live a very uncomfortable life. So we're the Coast Guard, not the Yacht Club. And because of that, everybody has a part to play. Jesus said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The Bible says we're all a part of a body. Ephesians 2.10 says we're created for good works. And so if you are saved like Peter and like those disciples, then you serve. And that's our last statement is I'm gonna pray this message out. If you're saved, you serve. We're not consumers. Peter, the disciples, man, they weren't consumers. We're not consumers. Everyone contributes to kingdom growth with time, with treasure, and with talent. And those first 120 followers of Jesus literally gave it all. And the only one who did not see death in martyrdom for his faith in Jesus was the apostle John, but he was boiled alive, but he was exiled to an island and um, died a very old age, a very difficult life that was not comfortable. So uncomfortable that as he was old and, and as he was uh, feeble in his body, uh, the followers of Jesus who were living at the time would actually carry him to church so that he could still choose to be with the family of God and knew that he had a part to play. And so today we read his book, the Gospel of John, first, second, third John, and Revelation, because he chose not to play it safe, not to live for comfort, but to actually be a part of a rescue mission that Jesus did send him on. Would you guys bow your heads? Go into a time of prayer.